Today's podcast is brought to you by drinkers like you. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash have a drink show. Buckle up, gang. It's time for Tiki Drinks 2, Electric Boogaloo. We got deeper into the culture of the tiki drinks this time, though. How those tiki bars started popping up and how the drink lasted long enough to see the trend level come and go and then come and go again. So make sure you have your Hawaiian shirt from the last episode and join us as we have a drink. Welcome to Have a Drink, the show where you learn along with us about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. Howdy, hey, everybody. Hey, howdy, hey. Howdy, ho there, neighboritos. It's been a couple weeks. What uh, What's everyone been up to? Oh. Well, we know that Dying. we had some <laughs> pre-show stuff on, on things that we've been watching, at least. <laughs> Yes, if only we could get uh, all of us together to have some long-form post-show discussions about Ted Lasso. Mm. Nope. When you say, Casey, where are you at on Ted Lasso? Because we don't actually check that. I'm mostly caught up. (laughs) That's usually how it is. Um, I think I haven't seen Wednesday's episode, but other than that, I'm good. Okay. I don't want to, like, you know, set up expectations for you to kind of be like, oh, man, it was okay. But it was real fun. (laughs) <laughs> it was. It was real fun. It was. It was beard after dark fun. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. It, it looked like in the, the. I don't know. It's not an emoji. Whatever the the art oh, the, is. The, yeah, the thumbnail kind of thing. Because it's all they give you before the next yeah. episode. Yeah. It looked like it was like an in the bar, type of episode. Like when they went to the bar the first time. Ah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's in. It's in a bar. It's in a canal. It's. <laughs> it's. On bikes, it's it's Amsterdam. If that sums it up, I mean, yes. it's in a red light district. The district, yeah. And it's also none of what you think it is. <laughs> nah, <laughs> nah. Uh, but so it was it was good. Um, and then yeah, we saw the Mario movie for the second time because, hi, that's where we're at. Had to uh, take our buddies Ian and Aaron and let them go watch it with the unbridled optimism and joy of a four year old. Mm. And uh, we were not the only ones. That theater was packed to the gills with there were kids five and under, <laughs> and they were all. I mean, you could just. It sounded like there was a kid with a boulder rolling it around up on, behind us. It was crazy. <laughs> just wait to hear that you say like yeah, yeah, like you hear in unison. Oh no, Mario! <laughs> if just only that were the case, because these literally are the, the kinds what, of kids that were just like you know doing so, the normal kid thing. We were talking, and we're going to get into Casey's part of this story 
because that's that's where we are were when Brittany's like, I need to hit record because this is all too good. <laughs> so I'm sitting there like we keep it's hearing this thump, and I was like, what the. What is that? And I look down and see it is a kid because we're in an AMC, so it's real nice, you know, electric recliners and everything. And the kid is like putting the thing into full recline and then jumping on the legs of the recliner mm-hmm. and breaking it, so he falls all the way through to the ground. Wow, I did not see that. He was doing uh, it. Oh, that's what the big thump was. Oh, uh, okay. It, so I'm a bad person, and the first thing I thought of when I heard of a child jumping on that and breaking it and falling to the ground, because I know it's not a far enough fall to do any real damage, is to go, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, our Serves child. Right. Did anybody just get the, like, and the kids on the escalator again thing in their head? <laughs> well, that was the, us beforehand. That's what it feels like. <laughs> that's us. Only, I will say pre-show. We, uh, it's like, oh, let's get down there early so we can let Emmett run around and get his energy out. No, we get there and always now on the like giant 60-foot screen, they're always showing SpongeBob. But we won't let him watch it here. So he walks in, he's like, SpongeBob, SpongeBob, and sits down. And we're just like, I swear to God. You're, like, you're <laughs> supposed to be running around and burning off energy, and now you just want to sit and watch this. So we go and get beers and then ride the escalators with our beers. Because <laughs> well, Emmett and just then, around. I'm like, you know what, screw it. <laughs> Emmett and I got on the train where some of my beer spilled on the very bumpy piece when we went outside. Not okay. <laughs> the fact that, uh, now that I've seen the video of you in the train, which is very much like a children's train. Mm-hmm. But oh, I mean, yeah. adults can ride it too, but like, it's yeah. a children, like, very much it, it's child size. Yes. Um, you with the beer in your hand as you're going, just cracks me up at this point. Mm-hmm. That feels like it should be like a Will Ferrell character, <laughs> like, drunk sitting in the thing, like, you know, just sitting there, yeah, go! Should have seen me in it the a couple of weeks ago. Like it was the thing was like I'm sure it had a bad lean to it on the side I was sitting, and if I had just stuck my arms out of the windows, it would have looked like the train car was Look, sentient pic- with its own limbs. I'm picturing either of you with like your knees like up to your chins, sitting oh, yeah. in this in this little thing, just like. Uh-huh. So, no, the train cars are meant to hold, like, six-plus little kids, and then me and Emmett got in there, and he basically had to sit in my lap. <laughs> it was just like, nope, <laughs> occupied. See, we, we were, I had my legs stretched out on the other, like, in the little car thing that we were in, so it was just me and Emmett, and, like, I was stretched out, and he's sliding all over the place, and I was like, of course. Although he was also being extra about it, so that's whatever. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't think it, it wasn't as bad for me, because I'm not all the tallness. But yeah, mm-hmm. that's my Saturdays have now devolved to. Well, I'm happy that there's so many alcohol mm-hmm. options for us at Newport on the Levee. <laughs> but I'm always like, let's go get a beverage because Emmett just wants to ride the escalator, and I'm like, we're gonna go get a beverage and we're gonna get drunk while we ride the escalators <laughs> up and down <laughs> for the next hour. But then it sucked because when we finally went up to the movie, um, the escalator was down, so we were just walking, and then like <laughs> I hadn't, I was like. I was not prepared for this. <laughs> but I was so beyond excited. I, in all earnest, got to deliver the line. <laughs> I, I just turned and looked at everyone. I was like, <laughs> escalator <laughs> is temporarily, temporarily stairs. Stair. Sorry for yes. the convenience. <laughs> we apologize. You can still get up there. Because <laughs> usually if it's not working, they, they have to close it off. But no, it was I'm like, all right, we are temporarily stairs. <laughs> Uh, Love it. which yeah. was great. So, but yeah, that was uh, Emmett. Even though second time, he was still like going through all the motions, as though it. it's the first time he's seen it. As you know, just it is the height of entertainment. He was Speaking. jumping, 
going crazy. Uh, That'll be his Star Wars. So, no. There'll um, be, be a, a trilogy, and then it'll be another 12 <laughs> movies after that. Speaking of uh, getting him into Star Wars. It'll, it'll be the baby Mario movies. <laughs> yep. So, then, we started uh, out of nowhere. I was trying to just, we're thinking about how to get him into Star Wars. And I was like, F it, let's put it on Rebels. Again. Again. We've tried many times. Before. Last time it didn't work, and I think I watched like four episodes without him. And then today we put it on Rebels, and it held his attention through an episode and a half straight yeah. of him just watching. And then after that, he went and got his lightsaber and was just like beating me yeah, all was, around the condo. And it's like, I'm like, he's going to be a Sith Lord because he was <laughs> slapping me in the back hard. Like, you could hear it just like pow on my back. And then I'd be like, dude, stop. And then he would he would run off and be like, until next time. And run <laughs> off and do it. He has a villain catchphrase. Yeah. That's what like, seriously. I'm a, I'm concerned. It, that's That's been like that for a bit now. And he would even go, ah, until next time. And run off to his room. It, See, he's watching Mario because he's waiting to get to hit the character he most identifies with, which is Wario. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. No, like, he loves Waluigi. Actually, Waluigi's his jam, <laughs> and he's really into the coop, all the Koopalings and mm-hmm. Dry Bones and the Shy Guys. All right, yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of Mario, you watched the Mario movie, Casey? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's about as much as that. That's about as much as that you can say. You you used as much of the word yes as you saw of the movie. <laughs> that was two thirds of the word, which is what amount of the movie I saw. No, I think we, I think, didn't you guys establish it was like, he saw maybe, maybe one third. A third. Oh, I saw a third of it. So yeah. Because um, <laughs> you were like, I, where's Donkey Kong? Let, He's definitely in very soon. Very soon. So usually right. when someone falls asleep at movies, you was, it's like, oh yeah, I've been there. So tired. You can't keep your eyes open at the movies. It's all dark and cozy. No, no, let's go ahead and educate everyone <laughs> on Casey. So, we were we were taking the kids, my wife and I, and uh, the sister-in-law. We're all going to the movies. Important that there are chaperones. On yes. Um, and so the someone kid, had to change Casey's diaper. <laughs> <laughs> the kids, um, you know, wanted to, to see Mario, so I was forbidden to see Mario until until this week, this past weekend, um, when we could all go. <laughs> uh, couldn't couldn't get catch it early. So we go out to eat. I have a couple drinks there. Um, we go from the restaurant to the to the movie theater. I, what constitutes you know, a couple drinks at the restaurant? A couple like LFDs. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got a beer at the at the movie theater. Um, what, what size beer? The twenty three ounce. I mean, you don't want to have to go back. Um, but it was Modelo, so that kind of gives it a little bit of a, a you know, at least... You at didn't least get a barrel-aged. Like, yeah. <laughs> you let me have that 23-year-old Kentucky barrel-aged yeah. ale at 9% or whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm going to need this lines. filled up with KBS. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if only the movie theaters had KBS. Actually, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, <laughs> KBS is everywhere now. It's true. Yeah. Um, so go in and, you know, we get the kids settled in. It's the, the reclining seats, you know, you just you get relaxed. And mm-hmm. I have my little dip and Dots and then, you know, drift off to sleep a little bit. 
A little bit. I'm picturing, so I'm picturing I'm picturing them falling out of his his hand as like his children look by and the last words they hear from their father before he sleeps is Rosebud. <laughs> so the, my initial reaction to hearing this is now wait a second. There's a difference between getting all comfy cozy and being a little too exhausted from the week and taking a little nappy nap at the movies and passing out drunk at the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the latter is definitely Casey at the movie. Oh, you know this. This gets me to a to a thought. I'm always looking like, where's a good place someone can go and just like fall asleep for two to three hours, take a nap, and nobody look at them. I, I'm always like in the airport or something. I'm like, I've got a layover that's way too long. I need to just take a nap somewhere. I'm gonna look at movie theaters now. Mm, like yeah. just pop out there should be you know if it's in a normal city there should be a movie theater not far away from the airport and sometimes in the airport actually yeah exactly and so go to a movie and sleep for two and a half three so, hours someone's bound to kick you out of there they've got to clean up after the movie lets up <laughs> that's right yeah there's a there's your wake-up call so you know for 12 bucks you've got a, a place to sleep for two hours three hours we gotta hit I the mean, airport bar first make sure you get <laughs> Oh yeah, that's that's usually what's happened. Like you get that little <laughs> relaxed feeling, and then you're like, "Man, I wish I could lay down somewhere." Well, what did you think about the first third of the movie? <laughs> it was good. Um, it uh, I, I like the way that it really kind of set up the the family aspect a lot better than uh, oh yeah the other Mario movie did. No, no, the other Mario movie <laughs> is a classic. It will be, it's cinema history. Bob Hoskins as Mario is the greatest thing that has ever happened. And the, uh, no, knowing that he was just like blitzed out of his skull on scotch for the entirety of that filming. <laughs> I was going to say, look, he, well, no, I was going to say it's unfair to compare that. Cause I was going to say like, he puts it as much, now he's not putting a lot of effort. He's just there. Look like drunk 10% effort. Bob Hoskins is still better than. Nobody. Most other actors you're going to find. <laughs> You'll never see the Bob Hoskins, Anthony Hopkins. Like, or no, it wasn't Anthony the Hopkins. The casting was great. Who else was in it? Uh, um, um, oh, God. Uh, oh, What's um, his name from Hoosiers? I can picture him, but that doesn't mean anything. Uh, He's in a lot of stuff, too. Oh, God. Uh, I look this up. Yeah. Um, but the, so the casting was great. That's not really the point. The, the story went off the rails. We even watched the a documentary on yeah. that. All the extras were actually strippers from nearby towns that they hired for like next to nothing because they couldn't I mean, afford actual Dennis extras. Hopper. Dennis, Dennis Hopper. Oh, okay, yes. And John Leguizamo. Yep. That make that makes sense when you consider the grittiness of that movie. Like, <laughs> kind of fits the motif. Yeah. Uh, they're in they're in Dino Hatton because the man part in Manhattan talks about how it's a man. But so it's it's great how the two like it's essentially the same story. It's like, no, it's a parallel universe that exists next to New York. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's literally through a pipe or through a wall away. And that's it. And it it even has like the same like sequence. (laughs) How else are you going to explain the Mario, you know, uh, uh, why two plumbers end up in this world filled with mushrooms? Yeah. (laughs) Which they, they do play that up too. Like the best thing is just like, apparently Mario... Flipping hates mushrooms. Like he, they're yeah. eating, they're trying to eat them on pasta in the beginning of the movie, and he's just like, Ugh. and like when he finds out that that's the power up and the mushroom can't, he's like, Come serious on. right now. <laughs> it's like, 
disgusting. Like he almost like I think he throws up at one point. Yeah, because it's great because uh, he it's during the uh, I Need a Hero montage, <laughs> which is the music choices in the new movie oh, are just so Chef's Kiss. It it's perfect. But they're playing. He's going through the test level and it's playing I Need a Hero, and he's just like scarfing these mushrooms constantly, and then it shows him like. Oh, leaning over the edge, obviously heaving, and then suddenly he goes, broop, broop, broop. It shows him shrink down them. as he throws up. And Peach is like, they're there. By the way, spoiler alerts. <laughs> I mean, that's not much of a spoiler. Uh, no, 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 I'm saying like just everything that like we basically went through the, a lot of the movie. I'm just Yeah, like, it's only an hour and a half. I mean. Yeah. I mean, people know the story. Generally, <laughs> did you see the one from the '90s? Then you've got a good grip on this one. Only put Jack Black instead of Dennis Hopper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we talked about the Mario movie already, but yeah, we had to just yeah. get into the story of like the second yeah. time around and Casey's Casey interesting being, take. Uh, blackout drunk at the kids' movie. <laughs> what? I do remember just waking. Uh, I do remember waking up for the Power Star. Portion. And I remember it's like, oh, it's too loud. Someone shut this theater down. I did like the the way they composed that song. Oh God, yes. With with the original, but it like really had like a totally different feel to it. But it still had the original undertone. I'm, the whole soundtrack is sick. Yeah. I'm picturing your children have like taken off their jackets and put it on you because they just like, oh, dad's asleep. Let's make sure he's comfy. Yeah, I see. It. I, I picture them because our child literally doing jumping jacks in the seat. And that's what I picture like, no, that was just Frank. He's just like jumping on Casey and Casey's just like out cold. It's like, <sighs> and the kids are like, bouncing on it. You got twins. Like at a certain point, I assume like hop on pop is just like <laughs> just a nice, gentle, relax massage as you're trying to sleep. Yeah. Um, did, did I mention the after Easter the, with the eggs? No. Thing? So this was not passing out. It was just me like falling asleep because of, <laughs> of weariness. Mm-hmm. Ashley works for long stretches at a time, and so you know it's it's the kids are here with me, and and so I get a little tired sometimes. Um, so I fell asleep with both of them in the living room, and I thought we were all just watching some TV or watching something. And I think this was like, I don't know. It was it was after probably a Sunday because my mother had gotten them and they had done Easter egg hunts at school mm. and also at my mother's house. And so they had these like two huge Easter baskets full of fake eggs. Um, I wake up and they're empty <laughs> and they have hidden all of these <laughs> eggs around the house. <laughs> There were at least 160 eggs. We knew that they had at least 80 apiece. Oh my there were 160 God. eggs. I can't put on a pair of shoes today without finding an egg in it. I mean, you got to give it to them on the creativity. Like, anytime I find a new pair of shoes that I'm going to wear, okay, I'm done wearing these. I'm going to switch to this different kind. It's four or five eggs in them. <laughs> Like the boots and were full with eggs. That's too good. I mean, they're the obvious hiding spot. You know, were they like floating in the fish tank? And <laughs> we've we've found them in like food cabinets. They've been in uh, like back behind pictures on on the entertainment center. Um, like at the bottom of the blanket basket. 
Are these real eggs or are these like the plastic? They're the eggs? plastic ones. Luckily, <laughs> thank God. Well, I mean, kind of thank God. You'd be able to find real eggs when they <laughs> yeah. start smelling them at a certain point. Yeah. No, be worried when you start finding eggs like on top of the cabinets, and it's harder. And you're <laughs> the like, th- wait, <laughs> you start going like in there. You that at that point you realize the twins have just lived out a rug Rugrats experience while you were <laughs> while you were asleep. Like they just had a whole thirty minute adventure. Uh, yeah, your I'm, little I'm your like little Grandpa. Phil and Wills. Yeah, just watching. Uh, Watching weird alien porn while the kids are... Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> yes. much what he was watching. <laughs> Grandpa's gonna watch this. That's the weirdest thing. They would always, like, slightly, like, nudge him or something, and he would kind of start waking up, he'd just go, oh, yeah. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> Regrets was so inappropriate. <laughs> All right. Okay, I think it's so, time we get to an episode. Well, what were you up to? It's time we get to an episode. <laughs> Bob's like, I don't want to talk about that. After last time, I was really curious. Like, I don't know what what sounder we're going to get this week. <laughs> I didn't really either, to be fair. She just hit a button. <laughs> I was like, which one is it? Because I, I still haven't replaced the one that I removed. And I, yeah, I almost hit something else entirely. Look, I, it's fine. You're good. It's, it was just thought it was fun because I was like, I, it was, it was a moment of legitimate excitement because I was just curious about what was going to happen. <laughs> I almost hit uh, the everybody's drunk thing. So that could have uh, also worked out. For sure. Tiki drinks are strong. <laughs> Uh, all right. Speaking of, uh, let's let's get into a little bit of this topic. When Ernest Raymond Beaumont Gant 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 because Gant was born in 1907, the Model T Ford had not yet been introduced. Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> there were only four to five states in the U.S. and alcohol was legal. By the time Ernst was moving into his teenage years, all of that had changed. Andy Dufresne was my friend. <laughs> <laughs> through a mile. Of- <laughs> just realizing like how how my voice was just slowly going from Pepperidge Farms to to Morgan Freeman, yeah, yeah. Mississippi. <laughs> that happens. M I S S I S S I P P I. Greatest Morgan Freeman thing I've ever heard. Sorry, another aside. I know we just got started. I I apologize. Frank uh, Frank Caliento, is that what his name was? Who does all the impressions? Uh, he <laughs> does a ton of Morgan Freeman, and the greatest thing ever is him reading off uh, breakfast cereals in Morgan Freeman's voice, or reading <laughs> off '80s wrestlers' names. Rowdy, rowdy, pie. rowdy, pie. the British Bulldog. <laughs> The Sheik. Uh, Ernest uh, is probably the most influential uh, influential individual in tiki culture, but you probably don't know him by that name. Uh, (laughs) Ernest, drunk tiki. Uh, Uh, Let's dig Jim Varney up and get this this going. (laughs) Yeah, see this thing now. I'm picturing somebody in a tiki bar, and he just keeps looking straight into the camera going, you know what I mean, Vern? (laughs) Kentucky Uh, treasure right there. 
We worked at the same theater. Mm. Oh, not at the uh, same time. It was it was right. ten, 10 years between. But Right. Uh, during Prohibition, he had spent some time working for his uncle's uh, import-export business, running boats from New Orleans to the Caribbean. We all know what that means. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, yeah, yeah, they imported and exported, and <laughs> those boats had to run fast. Uh, it probably been more than likely this was a uh, business was a front for more illicit uh, imports, given the time and Ernest's most definitely had access to some of the best, excuse me, best rums in the Caribbean throughout his time working with his uncle. Uh, like most of Ernest's life, it's difficult to see separate what was tr- what was the truth from what would eventually become the character who many knew him as. Uh, during his teen years and early 20s, Ernest traveled, took uh, odd jobs. He was scared stupid in certain intervals. And- Look, that's all I'm picturing. You keep saying it. We just say Ernest because he has a very long name. But I'm just like, nope, I'm just seeing Ernest P. Worrell. Just, Not I'm just picturing that hat, the, the little blue and white. <laughs> yes. God, it's been so long since I've seen an Ernest movie. You introduce the kids to Ernest. Oh. Right. God, that's that's a that's a family movie night. Mm-hmm. So you want to scar them is watch uh, Warl Warl Family Reunion. <laughs> he did one where it was before the character took off, and it was just like but a he was straight... still doing like car commercials more or less. Yeah, but it's on, all on TV. It's like the rest of Ernest's family, and they are oh. all like trailer park train wreck. It is. <laughs> Oh, it is. It wasn't meant for like family. That's for <laughs> sure. It was. It's more along the lines of like Jessica White. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway, like most of our Ernest life. It's, uh, sorry, I already read that bit. Um, uh, yeah. So, after he did his try. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. It, like this isn't written here, but it may help a little bit later. So he was given the option at sixteen of. Here's your college money. Go use it for college or go just travel. And so. Decided to walk about. It's the way to go. Yeah. And so he took the walkabout route um, at his grandfather's urgings. Like his grandfather was like, you need to do this. And through the time, I didn't write a whole lot here because it's not really known. He he claims that he would traveled all through the South Pacific and the Caribbean and the Polynesian and all the, these places. But it's it's kind of up in the air whether he actually did or not. This is reminding me. There's been a recent Modern Rogue episode that had come out, and it's about uh, uh, Frank Abagnale, like the Catch Me If You Can guy. Oh yeah, yeah. and how they recently now just going. He's a con man. Can we believe any of this? <laughs> just like, oh yeah, he didn't do any of it. Uh, how can you tell? The time frames he's giving for all this stuff before he went into his legitimate business, he was in prison. He had 14 months when he was not in in jail of some form or another. Hmm. Uh, the whole thing to the, the the entirety of the movie that he gets yeah. rights for still made a yeah. good movie though uh, yeah it made a great movie it's a good movie good story I but love that movie yeah but it's yeah. all it doesn't detract from the movie a bit no. but you're just like you stop and think you're like why would you have trusted any of these fantastical stories from a legit con man <laughs> yeah so sorry it's just just the idea of like how much can you trust it's like apparently nothing I can't trust anything anymore. <laughs> Uh, but watching, watching that and too much uh, casual criminalist anymore, I trust nothing. Oh man, don't get me started on that. I, oh yeah, 
we, we, we'll go down a, a transit we don't need to get down we need to get through this episode uh so ernest uh worked in uh restaurants in los angeles china los angeles's china eh, chinatown uh did some bootlegging of his own and parked cars as a valet for upscale functions i like the idea of doing both at the same time yeah, he was taking the valet like, car to make a drop yeah yeah obviously uh, i mean i don't know about the drop but like he definitely used one for the other Mm-hmm. <laughs> and made friends along the way. Mm-hmm. That's some well, straight made... up George Remus stuff right there. Yeah. Uh, he made connections in the socialite and Hollywood circles through his last job, befriending major stars and producers of uh, producers of the time. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking of the Dana Carvey uh, a bit about uh, Jimmy Stewart. And, uh... <laughs> so, just moving along down to Mulholland. And I'm just picturing him going... No, don't worry, Mr. Stewart. We'll just get you on out of here. You just stay in the back there and keep your head down. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, during this time, uh, the entertainment industry in the U.S. had piqued an interest uh, for shows about the South Pacific. You know, Elvis goes Hawaiian. Uh, <laughs> the low a point bit later. Elvis's. Oh, yeah, that was, wasn't it? Yeah. That would be a little bit later, but yeah, but I'm just. Because I actually mentioned that in the in the, oh. in the doc, yeah. So yeah, that's 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 probably the second wave of the. The, the, the you know around the time we decided like hey, what if we made this this uh 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 set this uh, uh set of islands we we took over uh from a uh <laughs> banana company uh after we helped them illegally kick out the proper monarchs uh and government uh what if we make them a state that'll make up for everything right mm-hmm. uh Having traveled some, Ernest was able uh, to provide not only his expertise, but also a catalog of various souvenirs to these films and adding a, a slight sense of authenticity. Uh, in 1933, Ernest was 26 years old and Prohibition was ending. He had some Hollywood connections. There's no way one of them is not Fatty Arbuckle, right? <laughs> Did not see that one, but not, I mean, would not be surprised. Man, mm-hmm. that's uh, so uh, talking. Was it a casual criminalist or a biographics? On, biographics probably on, about just how say, just like, say simon at this point really yeah one of the simon videos well it paints it in a different light as to which which one it was but yeah when they did he did a whole oh it wasn't a giant episode i think it's only like a half hour talking about arbuckle but you're like man he had some demons holy yeah. crap yeah uh anyway uh bootlicking is no longer a career option since it was going to be legal uh and uh, all he really knew had his knowledge was uh, all he had really had was his knowledge of rum, uh, island culture, and people. Naturally, he opened a bar and called it Don Beachcombers. Hey, we heard that a lot in the last episode. <laughs> uh, the bar was by no means lavish. It was nestled in the corner of a hotel and set twenty people. It was decorated with various flotsam and which washed up from a beach, old fishing nets, ropes, and wrecked boat wood. This sounds like the traditional tiki bar, though. Like this is the the yeah. the Ur Tiki Bar from which all draw their yes this this was the Tiki Bar that comes uh, that that stepped out of the, the primordial booze. <laughs> <laughs> this is the primordial Tiki Bar. Like you don't get velvet pictures of Elvis just yet; mm-hmm. those come later. But oh. like this is this is where it all comes from. This this That's... is the exact look because there were cocktail bars that focused on tropical drinks before yeah they 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 did that but it wasn't nearly as specific as the tiki look and feel 
Look, mm-hmm. I want to see this now because there's a, uh, I don't know what to call it, like Kmart Con Tiki that's set up in at Newport on the levee. Oh, yeah. And I want to see them do this only with crap that's washing down the Ohio River. <laughs> oh, 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 God. Well, I felt this drum that was leaking orange ooze. Yeah. You've oh, got a couple, a couple oil drums. Uh, you've, uh, the bar is just a couple of corpses. The the entire building is just a train car that they pulled out of the river recently, and <laughs> well, you know breweries are this. I ju- it just dawned on me. Yeah, they are. Yeah, <laughs> they're just like, well, we found this crap sitting here, and we bought the building, so we decided to incorporate it. <laughs> yes, the uh, urinal is a cut in half keg. It's all that same kitsch. Yeah, <laughs> or will be in fifteen years. Yeah. Well, uh, his drinks were. were, were very good and fairly inexpensive, uh, costing in today's dollars uh, five to six dollar uh, six bucks in downtown Hollywood. I'd have to assume that's you know fifty cents for a uh, it's for a, a mai tai at that point. Okay, yep, yeah, not a far not far off. Uh, and, and it would not be a mai tai. Mai tais were later than this. Hmm. The Mai Tai has always been, Casey. They just didn't. They just didn't have the name yet. This would be never contradict me again. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> this would be zombie territory. 1934 uh-huh. was the zombies creation year, so that's probably in that in that realm. Um, in almost, your head. <laughs> I almost made. Uh, uh, I almost got the stuff for a zombie today, and then I looked. At, I was kind of going down the ingredient list. And I was like. No, it's going to take too much like work to go get all this. Let's find something cheap and fast. <laughs> I sent that uh, picture earlier. Did you yeah. see it? Uh, which picture earlier? Uh, we'll talk in the after show. <laughs> yeah, is it the? It's not the drink that we looked at and went, "What on God's name is this?" Good possible. Oh, that one. That one. Yeah, never mind. I see it. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, uh, Ernest Bar's uh, Ernest's Bar became a local watering hole for some of Hollywood's elite. It had uh, been visited by Charlie Chaplin, the Marx Brothers, uh, Bing Crosby, Clark Gable, and there was a claim that uh, Howard Hughes hit and killed a pedestrian on his way home <laughs> on the night after the bar. <laughs> I'm yeah, gonna take that, that one. Right. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm gonna take that one as 100 fact because that's a pretty Howard Hughes thing. I imagine that he did it, and uh, Harpo Marx comes out from the thing, looks down <laughs> at the dead body, and just goes. <laughs> so I did a little bit more research here. And uh in fact it wasn't that it was Bing Crosby beating someone to death with a sack of oranges. Nope. It is probably impossible for Roscoe Arbuckle to have ever drank at Don's restaurant. Oh, oh I meant that he knew him. I, I meant that have, he knew him from from, from valet. Not, I, well, and that's like that's kind of the time period. Like six months before he opened the restaurant, moved from being a valet to going into the restaurant business. Mm-hmm. Um, it was when Arbuckle died. Uh, There's like okay. a six month period there where between the two, but he very well may have met him as a valet. But I wanted to see about what time frame that would have been. So yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a quote here uh, if you can't get to paradise I'll bring it to you was the phrase that uh, Ernest would say it was also uh, during this time of the Great Depression when travel was uh, an unthinkable luxury uh, especially to some uh, exo- uh, exotic far off island yeah I mean it's a nice thing like, you're like oh, I can't afford I really don't want to spend the money to go on that trip let's just bring the island a little closer to home let's 
Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you, you, they're in coconuts, you say. Little umbrellas. <laughs> you got two empty as of coconuts and you're banging them together. Uh, with uh, the bar being called Don Peachcombers, uh, many just assumed his name was what it was on the door. So Ernest officially changed his name to Don Beach. Uh, <laughs> as you do. Love it. Sure. Uh, the name most people would uh, today recognize. Uh, his name change may have also been a way to help distance himself from his previous bootlegging reputation now that he had gone legit. Uh, it's also during this time that Don met his future wife, a waitress from a nearby tea room named uh, Cora Sunny, uh, Irene Sund. Real afraid, I was about to say, from his establishment. I was like, oh, no. Uh, Cora was resourceful and, m- and more business savvy than Don. She was a school teacher in Minnesota before moving to L.A. With the help of Cora, Don was able to move out of the bar hotel and across the road into his own space. Due to pr- post-prohibition alcohol laws, however, he would need to serve food. So he returned to his roots, working in Chinatown restaurants, and incorporated American Chinese food into the concept. Mm. So this is... Sorry. Uh, this is literally where we get the menu from the Polynesian Resort. At, it wasn't until at you guys were talking about that a little while ago that I put that together. Because I was like, wait, no, the name they said was... So he it's is, in the episode. He's the <sighs> culprit. He's why I, so, I associate the two. Yes, probably like seventy percent there, because um, like they would they would say, okay, we're doing Chinese food, but we're going to put a little island flair on it. Then they like put it in a pineapple. There's like pineapples everywhere. Fusion, like at that point, it's Asian fusion cuisine, Mm -hmm. um, which is just basically a little extra decoration. Put a flower on it or whatever. Put Um, it in an eighty dollar ceramic tiki mug. And yeah, at this point, it is much more classic Chinese food mixed with or classic, you know, Americanized Chinese food mixed with just really good drinks. The drinks kind of are, are there and the Chinese food is is the back end of it. It's just we gotta have this, so here you go. But then it sort of makes a switch in later years, not only with this restaurant, but with some of the others. So can I is there a place where I can get in a whole bao bun as a Bloody Mary garnish? Oh. Probably. And I, I need that to be a thing. We were having a discussion earlier. I was like why can it, why are there no restaurants around here where I can get bao buns? Like what is it? She's like probably because we don't go to good Chinese restaurants. It's like, <laughs> fact. There's a there's a place uh, down here that's like that's just that's what they sell. Oh. They just do buns. Oh, I may be there tomorrow. I may have to check them out. <laughs> oh man. There's a if you're going to be there tomorrow, uh, there's a uh, Void's doing a thing with my mother. Uh, Never mind then. Is, is, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 never mind. Yep. You said enough. <laughs> All right, well, Don used his experience of island hopping and his collections of various bric-a-brac and movie set pieces to decorate the place with an island look similar to what would uh, we would call tiki today. I'm just, I'm desperately trying to, uh, trying to like stop the nightmare for, before Christmas from like burning into my head from the word bric-a-brac. <laughs> wow. I didn't even go there. It's in. <laughs> yep. Uh, this is where we get the modern day look and feel of a tiki bar with its cluttered appearance, bamboo thatch decor of flaming torches, uh, rattan furniture. Raton. Raton. Uh, 
flower lays, and brightly colored fabrics that looked like imagery out of the popular movies that were helping to fuel the desires of the average American to travel to the Pacific. Ah, the poo-poo platter (laughs) and bacon-wrapped chestnuts are both inventions of Don's. Wow. Uh, With his intention of dressing up classic Cantonese dishes with some exotic flair. That, you know, as Casey was kind of describing some of that, it's like, oh, the Chinese food. And like, this explains how the poo-poo platter became, the, you know, popped up into existence suddenly. It's like, all right, this this makes sense to me now. He's yep. the culprit. Don even went as far as to install a sprinkler on the metal roof of the building. Uh, when it was getting late and patrons were on their way out the door, Don would turn on the sprinkler to make it appear as if it was raining outside, leading to a call of one more round while the rain passed. Wow. <laughs> well done, sir. I mean, I am I am so impressed. This guy is just like the greatest grifter that ever existed. <laughs> I swear to God. How how is this not more of a thing? How is this not something people go out and like, hmm, bar's starting to clear out. You know what? I guess one more won't hurt. Like, you know, we could wait out the rain a little bit. Let's, yeah, yeah. No, we live, we live in an, a society of alcoholics now, where they're like, no, it's two a.m. You got to get your asses out of here. <laughs> uh, in 1936, a man by the name of Victor Bergeron, Bergeron, Bergeron. No, I think no, we were no saying first. Bergeron before, Bergeron? and then we couldn't get Tom Bergeron out of our heads, and <laughs> yeah. it was all downhill from there. Well, we're just going to go with that. I got Bergeron. I don't know. Victor Bergeron wow. ate at Don's restaurant. Victor owned a restaurant of his own in San Francisco named Hinky Dinks. <laughs> when he saw what Don was doing, he grew interested and started investigating how Don was doing it. He decided to take that business model, put it into, put it uh, on an, on a sh- cookie sheet, put it in the oven, and then watched it shrink down. <laughs> Hinky Dinks became <laughs> Shrinky Dinks. I'm oh, sorry. Okay, uh. it's also like the horrible name reminds me of. The, I'm not going to say it, but the the name of the bar attended in the most recent Dead Lasso episode. I don't remember the name of it that Colin went to. I, I know that's the one you're talking about. Like, oh yeah. Okay. I'm going to say, think about it for just a second. Oh okay. oh um, that wasn't the I, in wait, Amsterdam. I, yeah, no, no, no. I know the name, but I was also thinking about like the act that was coming later. It's the one that I'm thinking of. Mm, okay. He wanted to take the, take the idea yeah. and incorporate it into his own place. He was eventually kicked out and banned from the restaurant. Because they saw he's trying to steal the grift, and they said, no, yeah. dog. They, they called like they called him a, a rope sitter or something like that. Because even after he got banned, he would stand outside on the sidewalk where the rope was and like, like as people were allowed in, he would stand out there and like try to get them to do things for him and, and try and like, like rubberneck. Yeah, like just see what was going on and see things. Oh my gosh, wow. this wasn't uncommon for Don. His place was exotic and different. Ingredients uh, we are familiar with today were not common in his time. Well, we were able to get in. Well, we are able to get anything we want today by ordering it online. And many of the items used in Don's bar were secret. He would even create premixed syrups and combinations of liquors to keep his bar staff from knowing what was in the drink. Jesus. That's pretty illegal today. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> oh, what's in here? 
a little bit of how's your father and you just shut up and don't ask too many questions. <laughs> when asked what was in a drink, for example, uh, the four Filipino bartenders known as the four boys would say something <laughs> like a three count of mix four and two count of mix six and a dash of mix eight. Never knowing what was actually in the mixes. Wow. God. My mind can't get around how illegal <laughs> that would be today. Listen, God. it should just basically say on the menu, hey, if you got a nut allergy, just don't eat this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let us know. That's not, that's not what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of... Uh, uh, the dash of mix, you know, uh, uh, three counts of mix, mix four, two counts of mix six, and a dash of Rufalin. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, Don had a long-standing relationship with his Filipino bartenders. When he was parking cars and working in the fresh vegetable market, he would crash with them. Racism was rampant, and white bartenders would always get the job before anyone else. For their kindness, Don told them when he got his own place, they would have a job, and he kept his word. And even as you go through Tiki's culture and Tiki's history, Filipino uh, men usually were absolutely critical in in the whole the industry as a whole. Like they, there were many of the individuals that started out as uh you know barbacks more or less in what today's terminology would be and made their way up to executive management in these restaurant chains hmm. well don's wife became uh integral to the growth of the business and she eventually took over most of the management duties their personal relationship however did not last long divorcing in 1940 they remained cool. business partners at the time however and cora took over the business expanding it the first major expansion was opening a location in Chicago the same year they divorced. Ouch. Uh, to open the location, Cora likely took out a loan from the mob. <laughs> As you do. It's, it, it's you know. With Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> yep. Uh, in 1942, when America was entering WW2, Don enlisted in the Army Air Corps while Cora stayed home and continued to manage and expand the business. Wait, wait, how old was he? I'm not picturing spring chicken here. Yeah, nineteen born in nineteen oh seven. Nineteen like he <laughs> He was no, he's still in service age. He's in his thirties. I mean he's not I mean, prime. Yeah. He is uh we're putting you nowhere near the front. Yeah, uh he was injured in a U boat attack on his ship after Take it back. They put him on the front in a <laughs> After recovery, Don spent the rest of his military career working as the operator of Officer Rest and Recreation Centers. He even created some new Air Corps-themed cocktails named as a result, including the QB Cooler and the Test Pilot. Mm -hmm. uh, a B-26 bomber even bore a Don the Beachcomber Driftwood sign. All right. And likeness painted over onto its fuselage during the war. Don was awarded a purple heart and a bronze star for his service. <laughs> for alcohol above and beyond service. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Here is your yeah. bronze star. Uh, Don returned home in 1945 to a country thirsty for anything Polynesian and South Pacific. 
there was a growing nationwide pop culture explosion of South Pacific culture. This is basically what we were talking about earlier, what we think of when it comes yep. to this. Uh, That's by, what we remember. There was one before it, but this is the one that we remember. Yeah, uh, driven by, well, <laughs> not from firsthand knowledge. but No, but whenever whenever we, we see our parents and grandparents talk about it, this is the one that they went through. We're yeah. picturing like those, you know, those 67, uh, 50, 60s beach movies, mm-hmm. the the all the tiki's and the the yeah yep the surfing and yeah which is why that Brady you know, bunch episode we got tiki then it went away and then it, you know like there's this ebb and flow in the whole tiki process or the tiki culture world yeah it was mainly driven by returning soldiers enticed by the people and flavors they experienced it, yeah that's how we're going to say it enticed <laughs> by the people and flavors that they experienced well, while in the pacific theater well, also think of it as, uh, you know, someone out in uh, uh, Kansas coming back to the States and going, look, I had pineapple, y'all, and I need more. <laughs> That's how I feel. I say, can we just go back to that point? And it wasn't long before this that uh, coming home from vacation in uh europe you always brought a pineapple and that's when it became that's why you see pineapples on gates Mm -hmm. Uh, they'll be like big iron pineapples or there'll be a big stone pineapple on a pedestal and people started doing that because to show you had been somewhere you know that was tropical you would literally bring (laughs) home a pineapple and like post it out front of your home and be like nah dog (laughs) and and now look at this Look at this fruit. Yeah. This weird ass fruit. And now that's how you tell if people are swingers. Yeah. <laughs> Knock three times on the pineapple if you want. <laughs> Jesus. Oh. Well, uh, in 1945, Don signed control of the restaurants over to Cora, uh, retaining only a role as a consultant and figurehead as part of the settlement. So he basically became Colonel Sanders. Yeah. As part of the settlement, uh, Beach was not allowed to open a Don the Beachcomber within the United States. Some believe he may have been forced out in part by in part by the mob at the Chicago Don the Beachcomber had become entangled with mafia associates. Mm-hmm. Oh Lord! Uh, interestingly enough, there was a tropical place which was not in the U.S. but was close enough in 1945. Hawaii. Don moved to the territory and restarted his life there. Oh, poor fella. He's only got about like 10 years before he he can't, whatever he's opened, it is no longer his. Yep. Mm. Yeah, so we mentioned someone earlier that we need to pick back up with. Victor Bergeron. I'm going to keep saying Tom Tom, Bergeron because we don't know. (laughs) Tom Bergeron. Yes, from America's Funniest Home Video. Uh, after getting kicked out of Don's Tiki Bar in the 1940s, Victor went back to San Francisco with a new concept in his mind. His original restaurant, Hinky Dinks, worst in the world, was based around a potbelly stove and over in his wait and over in his brother in a house his brother-in-law owned. Okay, it's just about poor riding. No, you're fine. I was like, wait, I'm lost. Is it a pot- there was a potbelly stove. They were yeah. making shrinky dinks. Oh, well, that's, yeah, it sounds like it. So he got like 700 bucks from his mother. Plus, rub that down to 20 bucks. Plus a potbelly stove and an oven. And his uh, brother or brother in law's uh, like wooden home. 
Mm. And that's where he started this first restaurant. Wow. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, so the Trader Vic's history doesn't really make mention of the beachcomber influence. He instead says his <laughs> time exploring the South Seas was with his was his main influence. Victor Bergeron. South, South Seas being what he called outside of Don Beachcomber's bar. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, that's what happens when you don't get specific. Uh, Victor Bergeron didn't really have the backlog the Don Beach ha- did when it came to the number of knickknacks and South Pacific Polynesian decorations. This- well, what about his paddy wax? Give that. How about, that how about don't merge on a bone? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this led to Victor making more trades for these items. If you came in with a Polynesian-themed knickknack, he may trade you a drink or two for that item. This led to Victor's tiki name of Trader Vic. This name also was what led to the second of the major tiki restaurants to be founded, Trader Vic's. Uh, the restaurant is known for its invention, the Mai Tai, in 1944, a classic tiki cocktail, while there's no doubt the name of the cocktail came from Trader Vic's, Don Beach claimed the recipe was based on his own QB Cooler cocktail. It wasn't until 1949 a hotel exclusive executive convinced Bergeron to open his first franchise location in Seattle. This is originally a small bar called the Outrigger, but expanded to a full restaurant in 1954 and renamed Trader Vic's in 1960. It was from the small start with this one bar that Trader Vic spread to a number of hotel locations across the U.S. In 1950, Bergeron opened a location in Hawaii and in 1951, a location in San Francisco. Trader Vic eventually partnered with Hilton Hotels and opened the first Trader Vic's in the Beverly Hilton in 1955. The second was in Chicago's Palmer House. At this point, Trader Vic licensed the brand for use throughout the chain for $2 million. He did, however, keep the ability to oversee decorations, staffing, and operations of these restaurants for an annual salary of just $65,000. Uh, In see, what year? Uh, 1950. 19, oh! Yeah, that's, which is not uh, Actually, small. maybe 60, uh, 55. 55, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say originally, I was like, man, that's something must know. It's like... Oh, adjusted for inflation. <laughs> yeah. He knocked that deal out of the park. Uh, Especially with the $2 million up front. Right, yeah. Uh, seeing the success that the tiki-style Trader Vic's restaurant was having in Hilton Hotels, Sheridan Hotels opened up chains of their own tiki restaurants known as Porto Call and Contiki. This was the 1950s, and tiki was becoming a huge fad across the United States. During that time, over 25 Trader Vic's restaurants were in operation worldwide. This trend was fueled by the GIs coming home from their tour of duty in the South Pacific Theater. Uh, A book was written about the experiences there called Tales of the South Pacific, played into the country's love for the exotic, and spun off into a musical by Rodgers and Hammerstein and a 1958 movie, both titled South Pacific. Uh, those who came home from the war were searching far or for more of that exotic place they thought back on so fondly. Trader Vic restaurants were a point of American pop culture for these people. The Crab Rangoon was invented at this restaurant. Oh. 
Even the Queen of England visited and had her first meal not prepared by her own personal chefs at the San Francisco location in the 1980s. Tiki was certainly a craze. The stuffy ballrooms of big bands and black ties were supplemented with laid-back attitude, printed shirts, and loose... I don't know if that... (laughs) Moors? The 50s and 60s were the heyday of Tiki. In 1959, when Hawaii became a country, country? State. State. Yeah, that too. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It was a country. Ceased to become a country. Ceased to become a country, yeah. Uh, When it became a state, Americans flocked to the new and exotic place that had suddenly become more accessible. When they returned... Uh, I was just going to say, uh, we were discuss- uh, discussing how much money uh, uh, he was getting out of this 1955 money. You want to know how much that $2 million was in today's money? Like 10. Jeff Bezos bucks. $22,609,438.20. Oh, up front. Up front. Okay. It's a licensing fee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow, but I do remember reading somewhere along the lines that that the restaurants would make, like collectively, they would make so they paid two million up front. Yearly, they would make seven million. Yeah, I was going to say like the the actual amount difference, like like that's kind of like in the long run pocket change. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're going to keep the restaurant seventy million to two million, yeah. Uh, which is a lot if you if you took that dollar amount because you're looking at 140 million with that multiplication. I mean, at the end of the day, well done on you know on the yeah. deals. <laughs> Sorry, I was a day in sales. Sorry, I was on one of my 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 favorite sites, the inflation calculator. <laughs> I've spent a shocking amount of time in my life on an inflation calculator. We're living the inflation calculator. <laughs> it can't keep up. Uh. <laughs> Well, uh, when they returned, it wasn't the true culture of Hawaii that came back with tales of. It was the Tiki Bar, which stood out as being authentic, with the colonial homes that were built before statehood looked just like those in the rest of the U.S. That uh, that authentic needs some uh, uh, some very heavy, bold quotation marks around it. Yeah. So there's a... There is a, and it may be anecdotal, but in one of the sources that I, that I looked at, it actually said that when Don the Beachcomber went to Hawaii and opened his first restaurant there, it was the first thatch roof building that had been <laughs> built since colonial time, like the colonial mm-hmm. times had started. Wow. Like major building, not like. Yeah, you know, since, home or whatever. But since Dole came in and said, "This is our land now," yeah, more or less. Yep. God. Also, that colonial time is not nearly as long back as you think. It oh is. no, it's not. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking is. like it, yeah. you know, fifty <laughs> years prior or whatever. To tie yeah. in all this, we could get in. I could get into a whole separate conversation, like side conversation on how aiding in this weird cultural appropriation you had uh, from the initial. It makes me think like part of what caused the initial craze into this the one that we didn't think of was the margaret mead study into the polynesian peoples where mm-hmm. they were literally screwing with her she was a cultural anthropologist and she like <laughs> embedded herself with the culture she was like a young woman in her 20s and went down there 
And basically all the young women there were like, we're just going to F with her the whole time, right? I mean, in fairness, there's just, no way. If, they fed if, her crap, and they just like kept making stuff up on the fly. And she just wrote it all down and published all these papers and books based off of what the, all the blatant lies they were telling her. And she's just like feeding it back to the American press and everyone's eating it up. And they're like, oh, they live this like great free sex culture down there and all blah, 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 blah. And it's a utopia where everyone's screwing everyone and they're just giggling. You know, a bunch of teenage girls giggling, telling her crap. It's basically what uh, they did to Barbara Walters when she came to East Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's the other like aspect that's also happening during this exact same time. 50s to 60s, Tiki craze going on. There's a lot of like free love going on that's, <laughs> that's part of this. But it, there's some of this like, okay, you've got your, your hula girl. Oh, she's so exotic and everything. She just made me do it. And you've got your your fire dancer man, like the that's in a lot of the luau type things that are going on starting in Hawaii at this time. That's like, oh, that that guy, he was just so exotic. And so like so exotic. This idea <laughs> of going native, quote unquote, um, is is kind of from this sexualized freedom of well, we can go in, have a drink that's way too strong, make some bad decisions, but <laughs> at the end of the day, I have somebody else that I can blame. <laughs> the American yeah. way. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, the Hawaiian statehood, kind of a major factor in the popularity of the tropical lifestyle, uh, somewhat what we just talked about, uh, but also changed how tiki culture was perceived. Hawaii was no longer just a foreign country to the American people in reality, or as imagined, but now a formalized part of their country. Tourism continued ever bigger growth with the years after statehood becoming a, quote, jet rush for vacationers, snapping up $100 tickets for a now only five-hour flight from L.A. or San Francisco without the former restrictions of the former territory of Hawaii. With statehood making travel easier than ever for uh, for many Amer- average Americans, for the first time, the myth of what Hawaii was and what it was supposed to be came face-to-face as a booming economy and urbanization began to change the lifestyle of its countryside. $100 uh, airplane ticket now is the same as uh, $1,040.81. I think it was cheaper to fly then. <laughs> I know from the East Coast, because, you know, one of those, hey, wouldn't it be nice if um, you look at a ticket from, like, Cincinnati to Hawaii, and it's, like, two grand a person. Like, mm. Well, um, it came back up recently in, like, one of those bad uh, articles, but it was uh, when, was it American? Like, whenever an airline sold lifetime, mm. it was a lifetime ticket. Jet could, blue. And it was for, like, 20 $25,000, and you could fly it, for the rest of your life. It was a lifetime ticket. You could fly as much as you wanted, no restrictions. It, yeah, it was a lot. I remember it being like a hundred thousand, it was a lot, like a hundred thousand dollars. But you could add on a companion ticket for like 50. Yes, for like half, and, you could add a companion. Yeah. And, and it was like, well, I'll let, you, I'll let you continue, but it was, it was. Bad decisions. Yeah, because they said um, everyone who took them up on this offer, in reality, what it cost the airline was over $2 million per Mm -hmm. ticket. 
that they sold like this because they thought, you know, oh, it's this, you know this sum of money. Hardly anyone's going to take us up on this because it's so much, and we'll just come out because these people can't possibly fly that much. And it was like, oh no, <laughs> oh I'll fly. It's the only way I'm traveling now. They yeah. should have known their. And that is exactly. I remember the story probably that came out shortly after this this whole thing, you know, was released. It was like there was a guy and his wife who would fly to other countries, or sorry, other cities in the U.S. just to have dinner and fly back. Yep, because it was free. And, like just because they could. Oh, hey, honey, you want to go to Chicago tonight and have pizza? Yeah, let's go and do it. Oh, Thirty-two dollar pizza. If I had that, yeah, they're like, oh, you have to wait this long. It's fine. I'm getting to Chicago for free. But the average that it actually cost the airline two million dollars per I know. couple. I'd fly and, every because si- first of all, I'd have enough money to be able to pony that up to start with. Would, yeah, yeah. Sell the house and just fly. You could yeah. sleep on the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> sleep in the airplane or the movie theater when when you're at the airport. That's you're exactly just take, right. You're just taking the red eye constantly. Like, oh well, it's it's getting in the getting close to the evening. You're gonna have to book that red eye to L.A. Was it only domestic flights? Yes, I believe it was okay. only domestic. Yeah, still, but because yeah. if it was if it was international, that'd be one of those like that's an easy way to get a good night's sleep in. Oh yeah. Oh, we're going to New Zealand. <laughs> I'm gonna get a good day and a half of sleep. But it was uh, nobody buys that ticket unless they've done the math to say this is a good investment. <laughs> and yep. you've got these businessmen who are would be able to, and women probably not to be sexist, but. I, I just feel like the this type of crappy yeah. attitude would would go more towards the men, mm-hmm. um, but they would they would look at it and say, okay, I'm going to go to my next job and say this is a job where I'm on the road 30 weeks out of the year and you've got to fly mm-hmm. me everywhere. I'm bringing that, to the table a free ticket. That that's what I thought of first. That said, can you imagine the the, the first date flex? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just pop it. No, it's fine. We're gonna go eat somewhere tonight. We're, uh, somewhere today. Where are we? Where are we going? Hawaii. Get in the plane. Yeah. Don't worry, we'll go back. You could do it cheaply too. So that's yes, like, if you yeah. lived in L.A. or something, you'd be like, "Oh, we're gonna let's go out and get something tonight. Let's go get some. Let's go get some dogs." And they're like, "Huh?" And you take them to Chicago to get like yeah. Chicago dogs or something. They're like, what the hell? You're like, we're here getting, you know, like buck 50 hot dogs on a street corner. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's Chicago. It's like you go to New York for the pizza. You go to Chicago. Well, you go to Chicago for the pizza. For other pizza. But, yeah, yeah, but street pizza, you go to New York. I'm just saying, like, that 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 just seems like it would be like a... a... No, it has some, It has a lot of complications around that as well, but also just like the flex of just be like, you... You just decide we're gonna hop on a plane. It's a hell of a first date story. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I also yeah, imagine if you could do that today because um, I, I follow up some people on like socials and whatnot that like are doing the digital nomad thing, and mm-hmm. like that would Living actually that- like they literally don't have a house because it's sold everything and they're just traveling. And how do they do taxes? How- Living that old school uh, Amtrakter life. <laughs> uh, essentially, yeah. I mean, yeah. I want to go on. I may have my first Amtrak trip in July. I want to. Well, it's been nice knowing you, Casey. You've lived a good life. It'll be a couple hours only, like just up and down the coast. So, no. That's that's a six week trip. That was something (laughs) I started looking into and like getting into um, during the lockdowns as I started. We're on a huge tangent here. 
Mm-hmm. It started with researching, uh, doing a train trip in Europe, and I was looking at Finland and doing the Santa Claus Express from Helsinki to Rovaniemi. And I was like, that looks so cool. Is there something like stateside wise? And I started looking at Amtrak trips, and it's like, holy crap, our train system is kneecapped. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. then I started watching like these YouTubers. That's all they do. They literally yeah. just YouTube their trips on Am- trains. And I was just like, that's horse crap. I want to do that. Amtrak Dan, I'm all over him. Um, I, uh, I want to do a Chicago to LA, you know, maybe Chicago to San Diego even, and then come back through Texas. Trey, right. we need to get back on topic. I am enjoying this very much, but as a show, we have to get back on track. We can get back on track, but I want to on take these the, train tracks. I want to take the northern route. Is what I, I want to take <laughs> the one through the Dakotas, and that's the. <laughs> That's the, the Amtrak route I want to go. All right. If Brittany wants to cut it, this is a good place. <laughs> I haven't even... Uh, <laughs> editing is a... Is it, it's is tomorrow's a problem. It's, that's next week's problem. <laughs> Monday. I don't even know. Let's go. During America's honeymoon, with the romanticized version of its newly incorporated state, came the 1959 Warner Brothers television series Hawaiian Eye and the 1961 musical smash hit Blue Hawaii, featuring pop crooner Elvis Presley playing an army veteran returning to Hawaii to surf, sing, and marry his girlfriends. I I could just see Elvis standing there, clearly on like just some platform and a a film reel of a wave behind him as he's just like just standing there because the man was high out of his mind (laughs) they'd pumped him full of so many pills that he didn't care Mm -hmm. look the colonel knew what what made him happy oh yeah they knew all the spices it was (laughs) so these these movies actually this one with with uh, Elvis actually had a lot of the similar plot elements to the 1937's movie Waikiki Wedding, and helped actually that helped to actually bring Polynesian pop aspect to a new generation. It's almost like the remake of Star Wars. Um, <laughs> this edition came as tiki culture music had begun to split into separate sub, separate subgenres with the addition of lounge and exotica in the 1950s. Um, which at one point had amended the typical like Bing Crosby style of American Hawaiian music. The popularity of Elvis nevertheless helped to keep broad tiki culture alive, even as adults began to take it into new directions and their children began to meld it into evolving subcultures, such as the surf culture. My correct reference bell went off and I was like, I actually have the correct reference dinging in my head for that one. You see, saying that, and I'm I'm literally looking over, going like, I guess I have to go grab my ukulele. <laughs> so this, there's this very early movement uh, away from big band, also where some of these artists are playing music on piano, but like mixing in some like, hey, I'm going to make sounds like a frog or a monkey in a tree, and into this piano music, and it's like, what would would South Pacific music sound like it was written on Western instruments is kind of what they were going for with it. Mm-hmm. Um, they say this is not South Pacific music. This is not Polynesian music. This is an interpretation of that specifically. Mm-hmm. It's a whitewashing of it. You know, it's, it's its own <laughs> thing. <laughs> um, 
But Tiki was heading for a decline. Not only was there a natural progression that pop culture takes where it's no longer new and hip thing to do, but there was another war brewing in the South Pacific again, and a new generation was seeing the globe. They began to see Tiki as being insincere and inauthentic. Those were in those who were in the boomer generation didn't care for the kitschy look. These were the bars their parents frequented, not theirs. And the fall from favor was coming. Failures are your own, old man. Very much. <laughs> the ta- the great times had by GIs in World War II in the Pacific Theater were not the same as those fighting in the trenches of Korea and then Vietnam. Tiki was a reminder of the atrocities on these cultures. Now that we had Hawaii, t- Tiki didn't feel as special anymore. Why go to the knockoff Tiki bar when you could experience your the island yourself? Tiki drinks were also seen watered down. The 1934 original zombie had around 17 ingredients. By the time we get to the 1970s version being served in Hawaii, it was downgraded to just eight ingredients, most of which were not the in the original version. A tiki drink used to be special and exotic, but by the 1970s, it was more of an orange and pineapple mixed with rum that didn't have the same complexity or balance to it. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Many of the Don, in fact, the traditional Mai Tai, that we have across most bars in the U.S. right now is. is a version from a Hawaiian hotel bar that everybody just drank and then brought back with them. Mm-hmm. Um, PHs are just off the scale at this point. Let's just be straight <laughs> with our story. Like it's all everyone's got the chemistry all wrong in these drinks. Oh yeah, but I mean that's that's partly to blame for Don and Sonny in their first restaurant because they intentionally obscured what the restaurants were making. And so every, every bar that was doing this obscured their own blends because it was, it was so, you know, it's like the Coke recipe. If you got it, you wouldn't put it online. You'd try to make Coke yourself. And so um, got to make sure you're the only place in the city that can get this drink. You know, those 11 herbs and spices. And one of the YouTubers out there that I watched in, in recording this, they're like, hey, there was this bar that made this one drink, and I really enjoyed it. I would drive the 20 or 30 minutes, whatever it was, to the bar to have this one drink because it was that good. And he said, but one day I just asked the bartender, how do you make it? And they told me how, how they made it, and I've never been back to that bar since. <laughs> like, they can make it at home. So the the secrecy is part of the allure. Um, and so whenever you get this transfer of it comes from here to there, it's going to change every single time, like playing a game of telephone. Um, many of the Don, the beachcomber during this time and Trader Vic restaurants were actually being closed. And notably, when Donald Trump bought the Plaza Hotel in 1988, one of the first changes he made was to remove the Trader Vic's restaurant in it, saying that it was tacky and did not fit with the image of the hotel. That's pointed out again that Batman said something was tacky. Yeah, with that gold inlay on on the outside of his hotels. He has no right. Gold toilets. It looks like the 1980s. So while the public-facing tiki establishments really began to fade away, home enthusiasts and devotees of the tiki culture began to slowly build their homes into tiki palaces. Um, you would see like apartment buildings that would would build these tiki or have tiki bars in the back, and and they would start to restore them um, because that was at the heyday when the apartment building was first built. But you know it kind of went out of favor, and so they'd start to return those those like private spaces where you could invite people over. Um, they return those to a little bit more uh, use. Um, 
I want to say there's another resurgence in it happening right now. There, so there's there's something there. So backyards turned into tiki bars for businessmen and women who wanted a little eclectic and exotic flair when they got home uh, from work or to entertain on the weekends. In larger cities, these tiki vans would travel to each other's homes and share memorabilia of tiki's heyday. They'd trade mugs, gather from they, they gathered from now defunct restaurants. Um, the craze was really there, but it was like really quiet in the subculture, and there were like. They passed around zines and newsletters a little bit, but it wasn't a lot. It was just like these small pockets of tiki that knew about each other, but didn't really have a huge national organization. Man, fanzines I find endlessly fascinating just for the idea of a proto like message board internet thing that it's the way they would get that stuff out. And you're just like, how how are the margins working out that this is worth your time? Yeah. <laughs> Six people all paid thirty dollars. More of a labor yeah. of love than uh, profit. I mean, yeah, in fairness, I I kind of understand that, but also like here we God. sit. <laughs> here right, we that's sit. That's what I mean. <laughs> but al- but also like the printing cost just seems absurd. Here we <laughs> sit. Fair. Netting nothing. <laughs> well, the po- okay, I read that part. <clears throat> <laughs> Towards the end of the century, we saw a renewed interest in trying to authentically recreate older drinks. Um, Again, we had moved away, like lots of pineapple, lots of these other other ingredients that wouldn't have been in that original drink. We get somebody like Jeff, the Beach Bum Berry, who releases several drink books starting in 1998. The Grog Log, Intoxica, and and many others. That Toxica. (laughs) Intoxipedia. Come on. Intoxipedia. I need it. Um, these contained the research recipes from many of the signature drinks from the sometimes shuttered bars of previous decades. Like, if I'm not mistaken, this one is where he actually goes back and finds bartender logs where they've written things down and, and tries to cipher through them um, in order to see what, what was going on. Um, this was also the beginning of the urban archaeology aspects of the 21st century tiki culture based on historical interest and fueled by the puzzle solving of trying to discover secrets from the past from a cultural <laughs> theme that was based in part on the exploration of tropical regions. Um, even today, we have these people that will go in and as one of these tiki bars is closing, they'll go in and document it just to, to have that knowledge preserved. So once we get the Internet. Um, you get bulletin board systems that allow those with niche in- interests to really trade talk online. And then the culture of Tiki started with another resurgence. Um, it was more than just the drinks. It was more about the art, the fashion, um, the community of collectors sharing a common goal to preserve this Polynesian pop culture. There were Tiki conferences and bar crawls. The Book of Tiki, a guide to the urban archaeologist, was published in 2000, which became really the Bible of Tiki culture and drew more into its world. Um, so now it's not as as des- disparate. Like you could get this book and really be indoctrinated into the the inner sanctum of Tiki, all the things and all the people you really need to know about. Um, there was a generation here who saw Tiki as a new way with it see, saw it in a new way without the same level of cultural appropriation they weren't expecting tiki to be something authentic authentic they didn't expect um this to be a true hawaiian culture all they knew was that it was a kind of culture of its own from the early i guess 20th century um 
and they were just trying to recreate that aspect of it, not not what came before that. Mm-hmm. Um, these people weren't expecting it to be authentic. They knew it was its own kind of culture and something uniquely American. It's the um, so I want to say this is where kind of where we could say we've stumbled into the story. Yeah, and this uh, is me, the, as a throwback to the second wave of tiki is kind of where we came in and have ever done anything with tiki. It's like, Oh, we're going to have a tiki party. It's like, because we're kind of knock off basing it off of the second wave of tiki with the knowing lens that none of this is authentic. Right. Exactly. Um, so I, I remember watching and Bob probably does too, because it was around the same time we were in college together. The Dr. Tiki shows. I was literally trying to think of the name of the show. Yep. And I was like, I was, uh, I was Googling it while you were talking, going, maybe I can find the name of this so, thing. I know it was back in a podcast. I'm looking on like websites trying to find it. Tiki Bar TV. Mm-hmm. And then Dr. Ke- Tiki, Johnny Johnny, and Lala were the, the main cast. There were some others there. Drinkbot was in there. I remember that one. Um, there were a lot of these, these secondary characters, but um, it was a Tiki theme show that not only showed here's the Tiki drink, but also wore the same outfits and had the same sort of kitschy bars that a traditional tiki bar would have. And this was one of the earliest web series or video podcasts that were out there. Um, There was a new cohort of restaurants that actually began to reopen in the early 2000s. Forbidden Island and Smuggler's Cove in California. Um, You had Three Dots and a Dash that opened in Chicago and Haley Paley um, in Portland. They all saw this new tiki craze emerging and started up restaurants based on it. Hot Rodders and tattoo artists started bringing tiki into the work while rum brands pulled in aspects of the subculture, such as the Sailor Jerry's rum using the tattoo hula girl on the label. Um, Disney got into the act with <laughs> 2009 opening Trader Sam's Enchanted Tiki Bar um, at Disneyland and Trader Sam's Grog Grotto in the Polynesian Village at Disney World in ni- 2015. Like, Which, sorry, is- I'm thinking of Trader Sam's Enchantment Under the Sea dance. <laughs> Trader Sam's a big thing, and uh, spoiler, uh, we've not made it a secret that there's have-a-drinks going to Disney, but uh, we're going <laughs> we've, to... We've reached that point in our seasons where uh, you got to do the, the episode at Disney, like Full House or whatever, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much, but we're going to try... Full House step-by-step, step. did they do a crossover at Disney? Maybe. We just both did the same thing, hey, I can't like, remember which. Everybody went. We're Boy Meets like, World went, like, everybody. Yeah. Pre-show, we were looking up the specialty tiki mugs that you could currently get at Trader Sam's because we're all pretty excited to be trying to get reservations. It's not, you can't make them online. You just have to like show up hours before because it's a tiny little bar and you've got to show up hours before and stand in line and hope you can get a reservation. It's an hour long show that seats 40 people (laughs) at a time and it's in Disney and you get drunk. They have tiki mugs that are uh, $4.6 billion per mug. Pretty much. Roughly. I mean, there's a specialty uh, (laughs) $80 Halloween one, or halfway to Halloween uh, gargoyle tiki mug currently. Like, wait, by gargoyle do we mean... It looks like... Not from the show. Okay, thank you. It looks like like a a Brooklyn, Lexington, Goliath kind of gargoyle, or... Looks like a gargoyle on the Haunted Mansion building. I, the other option I was going to say was uh, uh, Hunchback, Hunchback of Notre Dame. I wasn't going to go with any of the rides that are in Disney. <laughs> yeah, of course not. <laughs> yeah, that's where terror lives. You don't, you don't Look. go on their experiences. They they're there to terrify you and ruin your childhood. 
<laughs> Still bitter about it today. Um, I mean, Disney's been in this this. They kind of rode the rate the wave the first and second time. If so, Disney had the Polynesian Village, which is very much a a, a tiki esque read on Polynesia. Because Walt um, lived the the first. He did. Like the initial one, and then when the second one came around was when he was building theme parks and was like, yo, dog, Net- I remember he this said, the first time. He said, a net- he said, a net for the cello. I need you in more movies. <laughs> he said, yo, dog, I remember this the first time around. We can make some bank. Yep. So you got the Polynesia Village, and then if it hadn't been such a huge project, I would suspect that that hotel probably would have went away in the past 25, 30 years. But because it's like it's hard, it's easy to close a restaurant. Like you just sell off the equipment. There it is. It's a building and a bunch of stuff. Selling a Disney vacation property hotel, not near or renovating, not nearly the same. It's ultra themed. That's yeah. the other, it is mega themed. There's, like down to the architecture in the walls. There's no you can't you can't wash you can't just throw another color of paint on it and be like, oh, now it's, you know, Bavarian. It's like, no. Yeah. So I feel like it would have went away. But because it's there, it made sense to come back and have, okay, now that Tiki's starting to have this comeback, let's make another, another like, investment into this. Let's lean into it a little bit more, which is where you get these new additions. I did not realize they were so new um, with the Tiki bars built at the actual hotels. And in my head, I'm just hearing Moana. Make way. <laughs> Maybe they're just making movies now to save their own properties. I have hey. always suspected that. Oh, well, <laughs> I meant like the hotels. I know for sure, like the the actual oh, theme the, park. The synergy if only they made. If, if only they're making like movies based on rides <laughs> that yeah. existed at the theme parks. Well, whenever I realized that Disney Channel was what was the movie that they were getting ready to come out with? <sighs> Dion and the girl from the twenty third century. It was Pixar or no. Finding Nemo? It was Finding Nemo. Was Finding Nemo always originally from Disney? Yeah. No, yeah. that was Okay. Right. It was after they bought Pixar. Oh okay. okay. So Disney Channel ran for two years prior to Finding Nemo coming out. They ran aquatic educational series yep. on on Disney Channel you, just to get people's interest peaked to the new movie that was going to come out two years down the road. You, sir, have been watching too much Defunct Land <laughs> because that's where I got that knowledge. So I know that's where you got that knowledge. Yeah. Because they did a whole episode on the – so it was on the Disney Channel uh, – Logo. The Chime. Or, oh, yeah, the interstitial. It, yeah, the interstitial. And then he does a whole segment on the wand uh, identification thing and goes into, like, he just goes deep dive into Disney Channel. It's all this <laughs> random crap that you never thought you'd care about. And then by the end of it, you're crying about a composer that you never gave two shits about <laughs> in the yeah. past. And he wrote a four note jingle. And then <laughs> at the end of this, because the guy behind Defunct Clan's a genius and has you crying. Over this man's life and career. And you're just like, what have I become? It's <laughs> very much it. All right. Let's bring this home. 
So eventually cocktail cultures had begun to grow up a bit more. No more was the simple rum and pineapple enough for a, um, a great bartender to, to call himself or herself a great bartender. Competitions and the craft cocktail movement embraced Tiki's complexity and balance. They moved beyond the classic rums and gins into Tiki drinks made with bourbons and other liquors. The culture of Tiki may be in its third resurgence today as Americans seek more experience with the drinks and nostalgia of a bygone air. And that starts to become exotic once more. Hmm. Needed to go full uh, Morgan Freeman with the ending of that culture of Tiki may have been maybe in the you're, third reception today as Americans seek more. You're saying this and all I can see in my head is the video of the the guy with the the jug of orange juice that's cut like into Kel? two thirds and it's almost half full of orange juice upending the bottle of vodka onto the top of it and then just like chugging that. <laughs> I'm just like, yes, the sophistication and <laughs> I do not know what you speak of, but wow. Like, he sucks it down, and you're just like, my God, how's this man not dead? So, not to not to kind of put a pen on what my life's kind of like when the kids aren't home. It's <laughs> a lot of alcohol. If you weren't. No, no, no. The kid, kids are home. Well, they actually, no, they're not home then. They're not home they're, today. They're, they're at the movies. That's when there's also a lot of alcohol. So... At, at one point today, I was being so lazy and so like just I don't even want to think. Can you go get Daddy a beer? I, I, it was after I wrote the episode. It was done. Like I just had it over, done, and everything. Not worrying about anything else. Just wanted to mentally relax. I watched about forty-five minutes of a live stream of just a liquor store cashier. It was almost <laughs> like security cam footage. Yeah, I was gonna say that's not a live stream. That's just security cam footage. <laughs> like of, the, of a... <laughs> the, the guy, like he has a YouTube channel and everything. But today he was trying something new. It was just a just a live stream of him selling selling liquor. And uh, uh, the reason this comes up, there's a there's a story behind this. It goes into Chris's you know orange drink here. There was a girl that sounded you know this is on. Uh, Gainesville, uh, Florida Gators campus. This is a liquor store on their campus. Gainesville, Rock City. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it was like some small college girl that came in just by the tone of voice and where they are located. Comes in a handle, like 1.75 liters <laughs> yeah. of vodka and one 20 ounce lemonade. Good And Lord. that's her order. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> Woo, she's getting wrecked tonight. Jesus. Do it. You don't know what she yourself. just went through? DIY oh, I'm Smirnoff. just saying, any, I, I, anybody with a liter and a half of Smirnoff um, <laughs> ain't going through anything good in the next 10 minutes. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, is she sharing that? Why didn't she get drinks for her friends, too, that weren't alcoholic mixers, you know? Like, there's questions. There are questions. I want to. Like, I could adopt this this habit now of watching uh, liquor store security camera feeds and trying like, to decode what's what's about to unfold in someone's life. If you enjoy people watching, where you don't see the people, but you only see what liquor they have put on the counter, you might like the channel. It's like watching cops, essentially, except it's yeah, more of a you can build more of a backstory. It's the cops prequel. <laughs> 
Speaking of the cops prequel, uh, let's get into what we're drinking. Sparkling Muscatel, one of the finest wines of Idaho. Uh, would you taste it for us, please? <clears throat> Excellent choice. <laughs> Should be for 95 cents. Mm. <laughs> I'll never get over I got to just see his short shorts every uh-huh. time. <laughs> oh, God. So, Chris, Brittany, what are you all sharing? She's got the bottle of what we started yeah. with. I'm it's a on. 1.75 liters and a lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> it's a handle of vodka and a pink lemonade. You got to read it. Oh, yes. I, know, I was just trying to show the bottle. Lis- listeners at home. Um, coconut caramel apple brandy demogorgon. I cracked into one of those not that long ago and... Fucking the, shit. That was like yeah, the demigorgon part for those who aren't aware. Uh this is from a um a local brewery in Cincinnati. And uh yeah, Imperial Stout aged in apple brandy barrels. Delicious. And I'll never get over so their first coconut stout they did. They the brewers had never worked with coconut before. So they absolutely all they knew is that the that coconut has a tendency to be underrepresented. You got to put a lot more than you intend. <laughs> well, they went kind of hog wild with this idea. Unintentional. Like they were just like, okay, we got to put a crap ton of coconut. Well, they put so much coconut in there. It literally they- absorbed half the volume of the liquid they intended in the end. <laughs> I've seen the other end of, I, well, not seen, but and I've heard was- of the other end of that where they've put in so much coconut, it clogs up all of their... <laughs> their drains and they just spend hours like you know shoulder deep in pipes just trying to pull out coconut so that's a rookie mistake (laughs) um it was it was it was several years back i may have made with coffee Uh (laughs) um now we know you just blend it (laughs) <laughs> like don't leave the strands they lock together like cement will it blend <laughs> if it's powdered you can shoot that sucker out of there with pressure <laughs> I just see Casey now like little Timmy gets to drink from the fire I'll oh. <laughs> send y'all a video later not me oh. but uh, okay somewhat unrelated uh, I, I Giant Weird Al fan never had the UHF album. <gasps> yeah, I know I'm a monster. Uh, it popped up on uh, the the streaming app I was listening to, and like the the one of the songs from it, and it was like one of the polka medleys. And I was like three songs three songs in before I went. Wait, this is all the Rolling Stones. <laughs> I was expecting like because I'm used to like you know, like oh here's a bunch of things like oh no no this is all one band. This is amazing. <laughs> no, yeah, if anyone ever throws shade at Al, I will like. Oh, like I'll, their, I'll like their eyes and end their life. Like it's just yeah. Uh, also I will watch, not. I will not have. Movie. I will not have ill spoken of his weirdness in my presence. Yes. Um. So, what were the deets on our coconut apple brandy oh. barrel monstrosity? <clears throat> it's um, like two years old, but still it's great. Still rocking that, all the flavor. That thing held up. Like I, yeah. I, it, it's within two months that I've had one of those. Yeah, it's holding. Um, twelve point three percent. 
Shocking. Um, so flavors of bourbon, oak, dark chocolate, and vanilla. And then the, yeah. Okay. It's then it's just like fluffy talk after that. Okay. But yeah. So, um, all right. So good. Well, uh, that that couldn't hold me over. So to top that off, uh, reaching in the fridge for some tasty leftovers, I had my final snorkel squad from uh, Hot Butcher. It's a citra hopped India Pale Ale, as basically everything from Hot Butcher is. <laughs> I was just thinking of the idea of a uh, uh, renaming it the Indiana Pale Ale. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, detail is six and a half percent, so nothing, nothing crazy. Bright is like mainly uh, citra hopped, so yeah, it's all bright and citrus fruity. What we're all accustomed to. Uh, I want to throw shade real quick. I'm just going to go ahead and say, <laughs> Britain for our uh, Bob looks around like what shade? Uh, as for our escalator drinks today, Brittany got <laughs> what was it called? Uh, uh, oh God, something about last night was hazy or something. Last night's hazy. a little hazy from Wooden Cask. Uh, a hazy mm. IPA that was clearer than any. Like it was like a Kolsch. Clear. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, and like, like more bitter than it ever should have and been. And I, I was just like <sighs> stared at the bartender. If she gave, I was like, "This is the hazy, correct?" And she's like, "Yeah." And I looked, I was like, I held it up so she could see what I'm seeing. I'm like, "This is crystal clear." She goes, "Yeah," and I'm just like, "Okay, it's just so that we're all on the same page." <laughs> this mean, beer is called Last I, that, Night's a Little Hazy. That that part of that feels to be like bartender error. Uh, yeah. I think it was. <laughs> I, that's what I was trying to point out to her, and she wasn't getting what I was laying down. So it's like you have no business working this bar. <laughs> I, I say that because we've had a lot from Wooden Cast. Cast. Yeah. I can't imagine them like trying to do a hazy and still not having it turn out hazy. Also, no, I, I think had, I've had it before too. Is the thing. And then after that, while Brittany and Emmett were riding, uh, riding the choo choo train, mm-hmm. I had to give a brief. Uh, bourbon ted talk because some people at a bar were floundering trying to decide what the difference between bourbon and whiskey is because they were certain they were two different things oh dear and i i <laughs> i could not handle it and i did had, you i had to step do, in do you walk so, up to them like put your interlace your fingers pop all your knuckles and then like do like the the neck pop like you know one head to you know head turned to one side of the all right let me uh, educate no. you you dumb hicks as a full asshole, walk up with a beer in hand. Already mid. Well, actually, mid, <laughs> mid sip, so I can't start with well, actually. So I'm like, mmm, mmm, and <laughs> hand it, mmm. Finish my drink. Actually, <laughs> yeah, and open with the line that's forever cemented. All bourbon is whiskey. Not all whiskey, Not all whiskey is bourbon. Oh. All bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is lucky enough to be bourbon. <laughs> and they look at me with that look. They go, who the fuck asked you? <laughs> and that's when I'm like, me, when you all couldn't decide what the difference is. I remember sitting beside someone. It's just like, corn, know, corn's the difference. <laughs> so, mm. Mm. yes. Remind me, I've got two thoughts afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> We should move. 
Uh, <laughs> Where are we moving to? All right. To you, Bob. Oh, okay. Uh, I uh, made a cocktail tonight. Uh-huh. Uh, I went out, picked up uh, a little bit of lime juice, some ginger beer, because I was making a dark and stormy tonight. Didn't have a, a proper super dark rum for this, but uh, some spiced rum will cut it in a pinch. I thought I'm, you I'm took fine. Casey's advice in our in our chat. No, no, I was I can't afford a Stormy Daniels <laughs> I mean, or dark you, uh, whatever it was. Oh yeah, Stormy Daniels. No, that's it. Yeah, that was. You already had the ingredients. I did. Uh, but I wouldn't be able to talk about it. I'd have to spend too much money hushing it up. Shouldn't no? Uh, shouldn't that? There's got to be some, like a, to rename it. Shouldn't it be like Goldschlager and Jack Daniels to make it the Trump Stormy Daniels? Because you got to add the like tacky gold. amount of gold. <laughs> I was going to say the golden shower for for Russian prost. Anyway. All of it. No, it's just no, no politics uh, the show. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, no, this was uh this was nice. Um gave me an excuse to buy a bunch of ginger beer. because uh, I like just having that just kind of around. Uh but yeah, this was uh this was tasty. Uh uh <laughs> like in our, our little breakdowns like uh strength. I don't know. Follow your heart. This one's uh <laughs> actually two and a half ounces I poured into this because my glass is a little bigger than designed, so I'm like, yeah, screw it. Great. Sorry, I'm currently making a snowman out of uh, glassware. Do you want a battle snowman? I yeah, do. I, was about to... I will also say I grabbed uh, some seltzer from Trillium that's been in my fridge for a long time today, which is still <laughs> fine. Uh, th- so it, it also it complemented this really well because it was like a, a like a, a minty citrusy kind of not minty but a citrusy kind of like. Seltzer. So I mean, this, if you get an alcoholic seltzer, they're basically it's you're assembling into RTD territory. Yeah, so the worst it's is almost gonna, that. Yeah, the worst that's going to happen is sugar. it loses carbonation. Yeah, that, that's that, why I was kind of like I looked. I was like, I looked at the date and I was like, oh, this is old, but yeah, screw it. I just had like the IPA I had is like six months plus old, and it was fine, still juicy as hell and delicious. I'm just like I've just had nothing but old beer recently, and I'm just like. This is still just fine. Yeah. <laughs> like nothing wrong. Okay. Casey, what's what rocking you your socks? I made the traditional 1934 zombie. Ooh. And it is a sock rocker for sure. <laughs> so first off, this drink required a lot of research. Not by me, but by Jeff Berry, the beach bum. Uh, in his 2007 book. That's the only way that we know what one of the mixers are in this, and it's called Don's Mix. Mm. Um, so much of the rest of the recipe was known. Um, it's three quarters ounce of fresh lime juice, a half ounce of falernum, one and a half ounces of golden Puerto Rican rum, one and a half ounces of dark Jamaican rum, an ounce of 151 proof rum, um, a dash of Angostura bitters, uh, eighth of a teaspoon of absinthe, teaspoon of grenadine, and then crushed ice. It's, it's a lot. It's a big tiki drink. Like, yeah. there's complexity to it. The Dom mix 
that one's the one that they would have like it would be just be listed as mix two in the in the book or whatever it was um so through a lot of trial and error over probably 15 to 20 years at least they found out it's grapefruit juice and a cinnamon infused syrup Hmm. And that, those two items added to this is like, it's just a half ounce of it, but it adds such a, uh, like a, a cool rounded bitterness to it that you don't necessarily get just from the absinthe or the um, bitters. So the drink is extremely boozy, but extremely balanced because you don't taste the booze at all. It's not overly sour. It's not sweet. It's one of those that you could sit down and have like 15, but it's also <laughs> a drink that I have had two today and the equivalent of, over a half a bottle of liquor in <laughs> two drinks because there's five ounces of actual liquor. If you took this to vodka strength, you'd be at five and a half ounces of liquor with that 151 in there. And so it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So there's that. All right. So sure. how the episode today with uh, sources from Smuggler's Cove by Martin Kate. Wiki articles. There's movies that are getting ready to come, or at least one movie about Don the Beachcomber that's getting ready to come out. Um, that's been really like uh, got me a lot of places that I could go find the the cool, interesting tidbits. 2024's um, Beach, starring <laughs> Anth- uh, Anthony Brody as Don the Beachcomber. There's it's really like. It was a Kickstarter type of campaign to get this movie going. They raised a lot of money to do it. Um, it got funded almost instantly. Like, this movie is going to be really good. It's a documentary uh, about Don the Beachcomber and his life. So we'll know a lot more at that point. They're doing the interviews with people, you know, live interviews. But, of course, Don passed away, uh, you know, 20 years 90 years ago. ago. <laughs> you know, he, he lived a long life. I mean, this guy, if you if you had a hedonistic lifestyle, <laughs> he, he was there. Like, Playboy, Playboy <laughs> was hosting parties with his style. Like, that's kind of the way it goes. I was going to say, if you factor in uh, uh, his lifestyle, that man lived to be uh, 4,622 <laughs> years old. Um, he, he always was seen in, like, this... this it was a suit, but it was like the plantation um, open neck all the way down to like the belly type of thing going on. Like <laughs> Literally kind of what I'm rocking at the moment. It's just <laughs> yeah. getting hotter like, in here. So more and more buttons have been popping. White linen, like very much that sort of sort of look and feel. He was also a guy that was really like into um, into not only taking it appropriate in this culture, but later on in his life, he was there to, to kind of give back and, and be like, no, I'm really trying to respect you and your culture at that point. Cat's out of the bag, but I mean, it's there. Um, <laughs> I, I caused some damage, but let me try to make good. Yeah. Like, you know, he becomes a, a notable celebrity, but in his interviews, he, um, he is not pictured. Usually it's like recording audio recordings of him. And so they are doing claymation for him. Like, <laughs> what's the what's the one with Please like? Uh, tell me, Rankin and Bass did the claymation of him. No, it's much more like um, Wallace and the, Gromit. Wallace and Gromit style. <laughs> Ardman Studios, very, or, very like rounded and. Or I tell you what's even more appropriate. What's the celebrity death match? Yes, oh, that is the stuff, exact yeah. style. <gasps> 
So this corner we've got Don the Beachcomber Beach, and this corner we've got something Vix. Let's get it on. on. (laughs) Isn't the same style that was in like the Harold and Kumar Christmas special? Yes. Yes. When you had a giant like ninety foot clay penis taking out, (laughs) yeah, everything. Can I also say? Because I, I feel like this is this is something that I didn't even mention in the write up. Trader Vic had a wooden leg, and like this was before his time in in the bartending industry or the the, the industry. But when he became you know Trader Trader Vic and had this whole persona and everything, he'd actually let people stab him in his wooden leg <laughs> on a slow night just because, like. Sure. He's a little bit of a weird character. Like I could see him on a celebrity death match. I'm I will say if I had like like that kind of wooden leg, I would just be very angry at a moment and just say, I can't take it anymore. And I just jam a <laughs> knife into the wooden leg and just leave it sitting there like sticking up, going, Pull a Ricky ah, I feel Bobby. Better. Don't you do it. Don't you stick that knife in your leg. <laughs> 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 Or would you do Adam Sandler uh, with the um, frostbite thing? Yeah, the frostbite when he gets John Turturro and, to like, and, take uh, the Mr. fire. Deeds. Yeah, to take the fireplace poker and jab his wicked, wicked frostbitten. Uh, <laughs> the foot will haunt me for chop, the rest of my days. Chop that wood. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're sick. Why would you do? No, I'm just kidding. I can't feel a thing. All right. Well, if you liked or don't like <laughs> what you're hearing today, you can still subscribe and get some great resources at haveadrinkshow.com. Follow us at haveadrinkshow on social media and twitch.tv. Now, uh, YouTube. Yeah. We actually Back just saw, on our, the our stuff, saw our stuff go live uh, the other day and was, was like surprised. Mm. Uh, not post anything there in quite a while. Years. Editing videos sucks, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> like the only thing, the only problem I have about our YouTube channel is that the video that it always chooses to show me first is the one where we're in Utah at the yes. top of this mountain, and my belly has blown up like a balloon on the inside. We are, we are all just <laughs> yeah. I look so bloated, like I'm going to float away in in the all of from up. the bloat <laughs> is real. We even you did the science experiment when we rode the tram up. Oh yeah, like with the it was a, a an empty of liquid but full of air bottle as we keep riding the tram up and it starts compressing in on itself. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Well, if you have questions about that bottle uh, <laughs> or the episode or anything, yeah, uh, life life questions, need advice, we're qualified to not give you anything, but we'll try. Uh, tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or just leave some general feedback. You can use the email address feedback at haveadrinkshow.com or you can use the feedback page on the website or uh, look deep into a mirror, the dark of night, and say three times, have a drink, have a drink, have a drink. Casey will be there with a bottle of a uh, <laughs> bottle of some sort of alcohol. I'll be like, all right, buddy, let's get this going. In the post show, I was thinking, what would our tiki names be? So in the post show, we need to discuss oh, this. Okay. All joking, fun aside, I'd like to remind everyone: please drink responsibly. Mm. Limit of two zombies, just like Don the Beachcomber said. <laughs> drink, uh, drink. It, it's it's a mix of uh, uh, Ernest Hemingway and uh, uh, Don the Beachcomber. Drink. Uh, Three zombie, like drink three zombies slowly over the afternoon. <laughs> uh, yes, 
Well, uh, you can check us out. Uh, check out the next episode uh, in another couple of weeks. And remember to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. And also haveadrinkstore.com. Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> <laughs>